Welcome to another riveting episode of Practically Theologians. This is Josh. And I finally have an interview today. My brother-in-law, Nathan Cedarland, is with me to talk about the work they're doing down in Mexico. South Mexico. Puerto Escondido. <laughs> you can sounds, pronounce that it. sounds about right. Puerto Escondido. Yeah, good to be with you, Josh. Well, uh, thanks for coming from Mexico just to do the podcast. Appreciate it. <clears throat> That's why you no came. No problem. Yeah. <laughs> A few other things as well. But yeah, um, thanks for having me on. Yeah, well, we have an ulterior motive, of course, right? You're working on some things down there, so we'll get to that eventually. But first of all, <laughs> who are you? And what do you What do you do? What do you do? <clears throat> You're Nathan Cedarland. Yeah. Okay. I am a pastor of a local church in Puerto Escondido, and uh, I've been there for two years. Prior to that, I served as an elder slash pastor of Kaleo Church in Aberdeen, Washington State, and planted that church, and so I've been involved in mission work and church planting, and I write articles occasionally. Just finished a fictional book, kind of a Pilgrim's Progress meets um, Robin Hood, something like that. That was my ulterior motive to show that. There's another ulterior motive as well, but <clears throat> yeah. So Robin Hood meets Pilgrim's Progress. So Robin Hood falls into the slew of the spawn. I also am husband and husband to. Julissa, Josh's wife's sis, younger sister, and dad's seven children. That's pretty important to mention. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. What, what, how did you get to where you're at now? Why are you in Mexico? You know, I should have looked up that clip from the Three Amigos. What are we even doing in Mexico anyway? <laughs> Um, we, we sensed a pretty clear calling from the Lord to transition from Puerto Escondido, or from, huh. from Aberdeen to oh, Puerto Escondido. Oh, I thought you were there, but. Yeah. And <clears throat> had that confirmed by our, our elders and other wise counsel. And God has been blessing the work. We've seen a lot of fruit there. We've previously done some church planting in Mexico City about uh, 16 years ago and in Sinaloa, northwest Mexico. So it wasn't totally out of the blue, but it's been a really, really good transition. So what's your job there? Well, I am right now I'm a solo pastor, which is not where I want to stay. We are my top priority over the last two years has been to raise up other men to serve in church leadership. Um, and hopefully some will be future church planners as well, but uh, generally just to be leaders in their homes, in their households, and in uh, different, different spheres and workplace as well. And, and some of them, I trust, will, we have two in particular who, God willing, will be brought on as elders sometime early next year if things go according to plan. So right now I have some 
external el- external council basically functioning as external external elders helping in the process. So we're a part of a church network that uh, provides some accountability in that regard. What's the network? The network is called Crossway, the Crossway Network. It was Crossway Chapel, but now we just say Crossway Network. Not to be confused with Crossway Publishing, but it is kind of nice. I just we just went to a pastor's retreat and we got books published by Crossway at the Crossway retreat. So you had books published. Or you received we books received that were books oh, okay. published by Crossway <laughs> Publishing. Yeah, it could get really confusing. <clears throat> yeah. So you're not just a lone pastor necessarily out in the middle of you know out on the beach, soaking up the rays. I do. You're, you're of part of a. Uh, <laughs> you're There's part lots of, of ministry opportunities. Network. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's a quasi Presbyterian set up as far as the way the network functions. Um, but yeah, it's yeah. Not. there's accountability though. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I assume our listeners would be wondering about that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so your job there is to pastor and train. Yeah pastor, which obviously involves preaching the word on a regular basis and um, shepherding, taking care of people, counseling. Um, but yeah, my, my main focus, apart from the weekly preaching of God's word, has been on developing leaders. Uh, the goal is to see the church reach a healthy plurality of, of elders and then plant other churches in not too distant future as well. So so what's the age of this church? It is currently about five years old. So pretty new. Pretty new. Yeah. And uh, what's the makeup of the people in the area? So why? What are the? What's the church scene like? Puerto Escondido is pretty diverse for Mexico. It is uh, a tourist town, and it also has a large expat community. I think the international community has probably doubled in the last two years with COVID. We've had a lot of COVID refugees coming from escaping lockdown in in Europe and Australia and places like that. Um, So there's a lot of uh, opportunities for reaching out to internationals and people from all over Mexico as well. Pretty good variety of of, uh, ages and yeah, people coming from different walks of life. So it's been a lot of fun. Our church church represents that pretty well. Um, We have probably about 15, 20%, 15 to 20% internationals and um, yeah, a good variety of ages, mostly younger people, but we have some, some gray hair as well, which we're really grateful for. I think that's a huge thing. Yeah. All young people makes, makes the church a much less rich place. Yeah. Uh, um, what's family life like there? Seven kids and a wife, is, and uh, you're in a house. We only know some of this, but <laughs> you have been down there to visit us once, but it's been a while. Um, well, we're doing a podcast. <laughs> I, I have to ask questions That's that right. people don't know the answers okay. to. That's true. Um, yeah, we live in a I mean, move down there with your family like you know what's the we have a house that we've rented the 
previous pastor and planter. Um, the church, by the way, was planted with a plurality, um, the three brothers that worked together to plant the church. And through God's strange providence, um, all of those brothers had to leave for one reason or another. Um, and so... Were um, they from the area? Or they were all from the United imported. States. They were all missionaries, um, foreign <clears throat> missionaries. So, so that's part of the reason the church is in the situation that it is. Um, generally, the Crossway Network would not plan a church with a solo pastor, which I'm grateful for. But um, <clears throat> so we were able to just uh, move into the house of the previous um, lead pastor or lead elder and his wife uh, were renting. And I've been there for two years now and it's been a good, we're, we're adjusted. At first we had bats and mosquitoes and iguanas and different critters uh, coming into the house. But I think we've got things pretty well sealed off now and our older children have enjoyed um, the climate, enjoyed the, the beach, the surfing, and uh, lots of lots of fun stuff to do in the outdoors. So mostly the beach and the ocean, though. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been good for our family, and they've connected with friends. And uh, yeah, we're really grateful. I feel like it's a good a good spot for us. So the pod, the ulterior motive. <clears throat> I mean. So I'll put a link, I guess, to whatever you want me to put a link to, assuming you email me links. <laughs> sure. Like, for example, to your book. Yeah. But you're also working on a project, and you're um, raising money for this project. What is the project? Yeah. So another aspect of our ministry that I should mention that will make more sense of the project is that we also – have a Christian school, which is now K through 12, that's very closely partnered with our local church, um, with our with our local church. And um, when you the, say partnered, what do you mean? The brothers that founded the school were also the the three um, founding elders or planting elders of the church. So there's been an organic relationship as far as ministry. Uh, overlap between the two ministries, uh, between the two, between the, the school um, and the church as an institution. Um, most of the administrators at the school are also members of the church. And the school is more evangelistic than it is. A, it's not so much a Christian school for um, primarily designed for Christian families although Christian families are welcomed and encouraged to attend. Um, we currently homeschool our older children and send our younger three school-age kids to the school. Um, but um, Mexico, you have to understand as well, is just uh, very different than, than the United States as far as the, as far as the uh, influence of, of uh, Protestant evangelical faith. Um, Mexico is probably only about 6%, um, uh, six, probably about 6% would, would hold to what we would consider biblical Christianity. Um, and while the statistics currently have, I think 11.5% being Protestant evangelical, they don't know how to categorize those people. So they've included Mormons and Jehovah's witness and other 
other uh, cults in the mix. And, and then there's a pretty large percentage of radical Pentecostalism that's, that denies the Trinity and has a lot of you know, health and wealth type stuff. So when you factor out, when you factor in all of that and then subtract that from that 11.5%, you're probably left with something closer to five or 6%. So the evangelical landscape or even just people identifying, you know, even if you include that 11%, um, of people that maybe would identify as Protestant or evangelical or be considered that you're drawing from a much smaller pool of people than you would be in your average city in, in the United States. Um, as a result, Christian schools aren't really, uh, they're not really viable for the most part if you're primarily targeting Christian families. Um, but the brothers who started the school, their primary intent was to be evangelistic and uh, reach families. And so it's an English immersion school, and that's been a primary draw where they're actually Buddhist, they're um, atheist. Uh, lots of people involved in the new age within our community that kind of crosses over with the surf, the surf vibe and all of that. We're the top surfing spot in Mexico. So there are people from all of those kinds of backgrounds who are sending their kids to our school uh, because they want their kids to learn English. Um, and so, and we're very upfront about being a school that emphasizes the gospel of Jesus Christ and teaches the scriptures. And these people are, you know, they might cringe at that on the one hand, but they are uh, willing to send their kids for the English education. So it's been a way to reach students and then uh, via the students reach their families as well. So we've had a number, I would say probably 50% of the people within our church of maybe around a, a hundred and 10 and 15 people or so that would be regular attenders of the church. Um, probably 50% of them would be have come through the school uh, or are associated with the school in one way or another. So it's been a, a great way to, to win people with the gospel and see them brought into the church and discipled. The, the brothers that started the school have a high view of the church. They don't see the school as replacing church. Um, they believe the church is primarily called to disciple. And so they would see the school more, and we would see the school more as an extension, as something that would, would come under the discipleship ministry of, of the church in a sense. And we can get into that a little bit more. But so that's the, the big piece as far as the school that we have um, and the church, both, in, both institutions, both buildings are maxed out. And so we are currently um, seeking God's provision for a piece of property in Puerto Escondido that could serve for a new location for both the school and the church and have a shared facility um, where we could have a, a church sanctuary that could be used for chapel services during the week and community outreach, as well as um, classrooms that can be used, obviously, for school and then Sunday school classes on the weekends. Um, so we see a lot of benefits of doing this together. Um, currently, I am uh, I've just this month and coming on the board of the school and the school leadership has expressed um, a renewed desire to come under the leadership of the church as far as spiritual oversight and supervision, as far as the, the ministry aspects of the school. And um, so, yeah, there's a lot of partnership there. Um, most of it's more organic, but there's some formalizing of that taking place as well. So the, the, the answer, the, the question 
this project is to essentially to raise money by God's grace to purchase five acres um, in Puerto Escondido to serve as a future location for both both the church and the school and bring uh, greater impact to the community for the glory of God. Five acres. Mm-hmm. What's five acres costing? Puerto es Puerto 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 Escondido. Why, why don't Puerto, you say that? Oh. Puerto Escondido. Maybe I just say it really quickly. Yeah, you do. Puerto Escondido. Yeah. Um, Five acres. So Puerto Escondido is a growing See, tourist. Puerto Escondido. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's growing rapidly, and it's obviously a beautiful coastal city. Um, if you look it up, you'll see why it's a place where a lot of people want to live. It's probably going to double in size in the next five to ten years. Due to a new highway coming in, it's going to be more accessible. And... And so, as a result of that, property prices have gone up significantly. Um, so, it's, people tend to think of property in Mexico as being really inexpensive and really just like anywhere else, it depends on the location. So, in our case, to try to find five acres that's central enough for a school and for a church um, is, is difficult. Um, and so, yeah, we, are, we have locked in a piece of property for... Um, $645,000 US, um, wow. US dollars, not pesos. So, um, so it's a good, good chunk of money. Yeah. Um, and God has provided, uh, amazingly. We're very grateful and just have seen cl- clearly, uh, answered prayers so far where we're at. Um, as far as money that's either been given or pledged, we're at 421,000. So we're like 65%, uh, fully funded. Uh, 65% um, funded so far Um, and uh, yeah really really grateful for that so what's the uh, you mentioned the university it's a question mark but yeah so the university is the next logical step with the K-12 school it's actually a fairly common model in Mexico for Private schools in Mexico are uh, are generally a business um, in the way they they operate. They're, that's the primary motivation, I would say, by most pe- that most people have who are, have started private schools or particular schools, as they're usually referred to there. Um, and often they will add a university um, as a next step, and so it's a fairly common model. But our our school Manantial is not lucrative. It we have all of our the majority of our teachers um, raise their own support and come as missionaries from the U.S. or Canada, and so they're native English speakers, which helps with the with a quality creating a quality English immersion experience, and it also brings the cost of tuition down. And so our school is actually accessible to anyone in the community. Uh, practically, we also have a child sponsorship program. Um, so the uh, the university is a logical next step. So that these students that are graduating um, from the, the preparatory school uh, don't have to leave town if they want to pursue higher education. They can do it right in Puerto Escondido and in a Christian uh, environment, getting a Christian worldview, and uh, continue to be equipped. And it's also something that we see would be strategic in bringing believers in from other parts of southern Mexico um, and creating a, a hub for Christian fellowship and mission where people can form organic relationships and then 
uh, be sent out from the local church, uh, get connected to the local church first and foremost, and then get, be able to get sent out maybe to some of the places that they've come from, smaller villages up in the mountains of Oaxaca where there's very little Christian influence, less than 2% in many of those places. Um, some, some people groups that are still considered uh, unreached or only superficially reached, there's probably 11 people groups just within um, the vicinity of Puerto Escondido that Puerto Escondido that uh, <laughs> that are still considered um, just superficially reached, where there's been some missionary activity, but don't have the scriptures completely in their language, um, don't really have a healthy established church. So lots of work to be done there, and we see the university as something that can draw people in, and then see them sent uh, connected to the local church, and then sent back out from the, from the church to be a part of uh, church planning in in those places and maybe starting future schools as we've seen the school as an effective model of evangelism and and also part of the discipleship ministry of the church. So that's the the main impetus for the university. And currently, I mean, there are, I think I I can't remember the number. I looked it up recently, but it's it's pretty high. It's got to be like 250 or something like that of Christian universities in the United States. Maybe it's even more than that. Um, it's a pretty large number. In Mexico, there is only one, currently there's only one um, Christian university that's accredited, um, which, you know, we could talk about whether or not that really matters, but um, that would be our goal, just to get accreditation at this point. There may be changes in the government at some point that would, that would move us to say, um, forget that. <laughs> but at this point, we see some value there still. Um, and uh, so there's only one Christian university in, in the entire country, and it's in Monterey, which is on the other side of the country in the far north. It would be in the far south. So just a lot of, a lot of opportunity for that. So a Christian university, that's just a general university? Or does it include seminary-type work? There, there are some really good seminaries already in Mexico. Um, and uh, they're non-accredited, but they're, they're, there's quality from my, what I under, as, as far as what I've heard and, and talking to different pastors, it seems like there is um, a good number, um, whether it's Presbyterians or Reformed Baptists um, or other groups, there's, there's a number of solid institutions that are you know, teaching theology and teaching the, the biblical languages and whatnot. So I don't see that as much of a priority from from um, from our vantage point at this point. So it's continuing what you yeah. started in K through twelve. It's more continuing English that. immersion. We we do have we do have a um, what we call the Christian Leadership Institute where where we are giving a theological training and that's where we're raising up men to be future future elders. Um, so if there are guys that want to go to seminary, we, we have options of sending them different places. And if the Lord could bring the right, the Lord brings the right people along at some point to, to see that an extension of the university, a seminary extension, certainly would be something we would, we would be open to and uh, would embrace. But at this point, that's not the, the vision that, that we've sensed um, just uh, for who God is made us to be and the gifts he's given us that wouldn't be something that, that we would be uh, pursuing at this point. I'm glad you added that last part, the vision we sensed, and then you added the gifts we have, who God has made us to be. That's good. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
Speaking of those, those more radical Pentecostals. <laughs> they saw I had a vision. Writing in the clouds that said no seminaries. Right. Yep, yep. That sounds, cemeteries there. That sounds like a good way to chart the course of your life. Hey, if you do it, yeah, I guess you do it. <laughs> so this property would serve as a future, as the initial campus for the university as well. And five acres might not seem like a lot for that, but in Mexico, people are really good at stacking stuff on top of each other and fitting a lot into tight spaces. So Five acres is a good amount of space. Yeah. It's not bad. No, it's a good amount of space, yeah. I think uh, back in the day, that's what Christ the Rock was on. The old church was on, uh, I think they bought 10 acres, but it's pretty much five acres plus parking, plus yeah. woods. Um, so, uh, what place does the church have in, so what's the deal with like, you said something about oversight, accountability, statement of faith, the school interacting with the church somehow in that regard. What's that all about? How's that work? How would that work? <clears throat> yeah, well, I didn't, I didn't plant the church or found the school, so. Some of those things are already in place as far as statement of faith and whatnot, and and like I said, they were they were started by some of the same people, and so as a result, there's um, there is uh, definitely shared ground as far as theological convictions, as far as um, philosophy of ministry, and those kinds of things. Um, so a lot of that's already uh, there's a good foundation has been laid. But as we know with any institution, it's going to tend towards in a fallen sinful world. It's going to tend towards corruption and strain from the initial vision. And we see that with higher education in the United States, right? As a prime example, Harvard and Yale. And these places that were founded to teach people the word of God and train men for ministry. And now they're doing totally the opposite of that, um, opposing the truth. So we want to we want to have safeguards in place, and we recognize the Holy Spirit's the one who preserves His church, and Jesus builds His church. Um, but we certainly have a responsibility to to be wise and to to seek to do things um, in a way that would uh, prevent um, wolves from rising up and leading people astray, whether that's in the church context or in the, the context of the school. So at this point. Um, some of those things are still in the works as far as what those safeguards would be. The the founder of the school and I have been in um, pretty constant communication and discussion regarding that. And uh, so adding me to the board was one step in that direction. Um, and there's a desire for, for greater um, accountability and partnership at the local level. The school has had a lot of accountability from, from the U.S. side. But um, I think the, the brother who started the school, Casey, rightly recognizes that um, it would be healthy to have local, local accountability um, as well. And so we're working towards that. So I think something like there being, uh, certainly we would not see the elders of the church as being automatically the, the board of the school or vice versa. Uh, I think there's separate institutions and there's nothing wrong with that. We don't want to confuse uh, the work of the church with the the work of the school uh, as far as the institutional aspect of that. Obviously, the, the organic um, ministry of the church as a family is going to extend into the school. 
Um, but, uh, but there would be overlap where I think we would, we would want to see at least one of the elders or pastors from the church always maintaining a position on the board of the school. Um, the, the directors or the, basically the principals of the school are members of the church. So they're, they're accountable as far as what they're teaching in that context and how they're leading. Um, the elders certainly aren't supervising their, their, um, administrative duties or, you know, things that would be more, um, in the, in the realm of, of, uh, academics. Um, but they, but as far as how they're conducting themselves and, you know, living out their Christian lives and what they're teaching, uh, as far as the, the, the spiritual content of their teaching, all of that would be under the, under the, uh, supervision of the, of their elders, you know, just because they're members of the church. So, um, <clears throat> So at that point, at this point, that's more or less how, how things are are worked out, and and then the, of course the school is intentional about as students come to know the Lord and and confess uh, Christ as Savior, the school, the teachers of the school, most of whom are also members of the church, are intentional about plugging them in, uh, getting them you know bringing them on Sundays, getting them connected to to the ministries of the local church and um, to to be discipled and get into a membership process and all of that. So what's the, um, so it sounds like the accountability is kind of just like having a relationship with, between the church and the school in general, not so much a formal, not no formal oversight in terms of the church. Yeah. The church proper, does not have any sort of formal oversight of the school, though what we've discussed is having some measures in place, like having a, a rule that an elder from the church would always have a position on a board and, and things like that. So that would be a formal, mm-hmm. that would be a formal measure <clears throat> that we would take, but it would still, um, yeah, maintain the separate spheres, I guess. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about that. That's, that's a question that is an interesting question. How involved should churches be in education? So what's what's the we could just go into spheres thinking church family state. What yeah. are, what are what are the roles of those of those institutions in a in education? What is yeah. well what do we mean by education? I assume yeah. A formal book learning type education. What do you mean by education? <clears throat> yeah, that's certainly how most people would, would think of it, but I think both you and I would, would recognize that it, there's a lot more to it than that. And this idea of biblical idea of going back to Deuteronomy six of forming people in all of life um, and how they think and act and their passions and dreams and, work ethic and all those things would be wrapped up into the idea of education or the Greek concept of paideia and uh, Paul, I think uh, continuing the thought of Deuteronomy six and in, in the new covenant era and in Ephesians chapter six, where he's encouraging fathers, um, commanding fathers to train up their children um, in the uh, discipline and, and instruction of the Lord and, um, so that would certainly uh, 
I, I would see that as extending beyond um, merely the teaching of, of doctrine. It would certainly include that in the context of the local church, but um, would be teaching them to glorify God in all areas of life. Um, and so, yeah, education would be broader than book learning, but when we're talking about the school, we're primarily talking about um, that as- that more narrow aspect. Um, although we want our we want our teachers and administrators to be modeling Christ and in, in their lives um, and their words and and uh, and also to be communicating the gospel to to students and um, bringing students to Christ, um, praying with them and and ministering to their need, their spiritual needs. Um, as as any Christian is called to do to others that they're in relationship with, um, and so so yeah, that would be um, you know the challenging question is what where does education fit in if we if we recognize three biblical spheres uh, of the family of the the civil sphere and uh, the church which which one has um, the primary calling to, to educate children. Um, and I, I would say that, well, using which definition of education? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, in the, in the, in the broadest sense, in the sense of getting a piece yeah. of paper that says you were educated yeah. <laughs> to simplify it. Yeah. You don't get a piece of paper for graduating from the family. Right. Right. I would say, if you broaden the definition out a little bit more into this kind of more of this paideia concept, that there is a sense in which all three spheres have a responsibility. Um, that uh, even the, the civil sphere, for example, I would argue that a, a nation is doing the right thing when it calls its citizens to learn the Constitution, for example. Um be familiar with the laws of the land and, and those kinds of things. Um, but I would want to limit significantly the role of govern of the civil government in, in education. Um, but in a, in a secondary kind of way, I would, I think ideally they would be promoting the learning of those kinds of things like the constitution, um, through the, the family, um, or through schools that are established in a more book learning this narrow definition kind of uh, sense. But, um, and then the church is obviously called to make disciples, Matthew 28, teach them to obey everything I've commanded. Um, well, first you baptize, uh, then you uh, teach. Yeah, that's right. Speaking yeah. as a, you know. <laughs> I agree with that. Um, that's what the Bible says. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, and I would I would say there's um, a responsibility that the church has in equipping anyone who's a believer to think about the different spheres, so that the church would be a prophetic voice to the state. The church would also bring instruction to fathers and equip them in the truths of Scripture, so that they in turn can raise raise up their children in a, in understanding all of life. Um, in, in light of the gospel, in light of living for God's glory. Um, so uh, the categories, in, at least in my mind, aren't really, uh, I, don't, I don't have them super neat or tidy. Uh, there's some overlap. I would say that the, the family 
does proceed, seems to, at least in the creation order, it precedes the, the church and even thinking about how the elders of the church for in order to be qualified as elders, you're supposed to look at how they conduct themselves in their household. So there's a, there's an order there um, in, in the, establishing the family as the, the primary jurisdiction that would have primary jurisdiction in the education of children. But I would never want to divorce that from the church. And I would, I wouldn't want to, um, ever say something like, for example, that the church's job is to equip fathers so that fathers can teach children. I would say the church equips both fathers and children simultaneously. Um, but part of what they're equipping fathers to do is also teach their children in the different, different spheres. So I don't know. Do you want to chime in on that or give some pushback? I certainly would welcome, would welcome it. Um, I guess the last thing, as far as if you want to work with that narrow definition, then I would say that the, the school, um, schools that are founded or the homeschool would, would be the primary place where uh, things like math and science would be taught, not, not the local church. Though the teaching of the local church would certainly uh, impact those, those areas as well. Uh, as believers who are part of a local church teach those things, they're going to do it in light of the doctrine and the understanding of God that they have from, from the church, local church discipleship. So, Yeah, well, the uh, sometimes it's, e- it's easier to talk about something when the definitions are narrowed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's hard to talk about everything simultaneously all at yeah. once, covering everything. Pardon the sound of the rabbit in the background. Um, so if we think more in terms of a formal education where you get a piece of paper saying you were educated what's the uh, role of the church in that in terms of being a part of that process so our churches to open schools I would say, so the way that I've put it is... We have Sunday school. Yeah. <laughs> I put it, the mission of the church is to make disciples, and formal education is an aspect of discipleship. Therefore, the church <clears throat> should encourage the founding of institutions that will faithfully form students in a Christ-centered worldview. So, I don't say the church should found institutions of higher education or K through 12 schools, but the church should encourage the founding of institutions. I would, that that's where I would draw the yeah. distinction. So, uh, just thinking about it on the fly a bit, not on the fly too much, but a bit, what would, where would we see, um, some biblical warrant or some biblical, um, principles that would lay out, the need even for a formal education where Paul was formally educated, but in a religious institution mm-hmm. is uh, trying to think there were, there was, there were private tutors. There were private schools back in the day, Roman times, Greek times. The school of Tyrannus. Yeah. What's the purpose? Well, 
in other words, what I'm getting at. Has, has education changed in our modern era to be something that didn't really exist back in the past? Is it become consumeristic? I get a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, rather than I now can walk in the shoes of my master. Absolutely. Yeah, I would say that's probably a pretty, pretty fair assessment. Interesting. Yeah. Well, so, so let's go back to the idea of formal education and that piece of paper. Yeah. What role should the state have in that? Uh, it's just yeah. just a fun question. We did a whole series uh, early, what late twenty twenty, early twenty one, on the role of the state mm-hmm. in general. But yeah, I I think going back just a little bit as far as principles of formal education, I mean, probably starting uh, principles that I would start with would be the the great commandment: worship, love the Lord your God with all your heart soul, mind, and strength. Um, so education would be part of worship, loving God with all your mind. Uh, and then God is a God of order. <laughs> um, and uh, he's called man to take dominion. So there's an ordering that's taking place and formalization of how do we, how do we structure things in such a way to maximize uh, the worship of God with our minds um, and understanding and and taking dominion over the world that he's given us to steward, uh, the creation that we are to steward wisely. So I would, I would bring those. Uh, certainly the dominion mandate would come into that. Um, but as far as the role of the state in that, um, as, I, as I mentioned, I, I do think, and I, I haven't thought through all of the – I haven't um, – thought about this enough to ground this conviction or this this uh, understanding in a biblical passage um, at least not one that comes to comes to mind at the moment but the idea that the state for example should promote um, good uh, it's they should promote uh, things like a knowledge of the Constitution and you know, in our context, the Bill of Rights and the Declaration of Independence and and, and those kinds of things that um, you know, I, I guess you could argue biblically that that's part of being a good citizen, as being uh, as part of being of loving your neighbor and knowing knowing how to defend their um, their rights, if you will, um, under the Constitution. Um, so should the should a, a godly state um, encourage that? I think they ought to. Whether they ought whether they should have a direct role in it, I don't know if I could argue convincingly from convincingly from scripture um, that they either way at this point. But I'd love to hear if you have any thoughts on that. <laughs> well, you mentioned the protecting of rights. I think that's the role of the state biblically. So. I don't know uh, how a formal education such as we know it today yeah. would fit into protecting rights. Certainly, uh, like in the punishing the, yeah. the the evil, rewarding the good, mm-hmm. based on God's law. Yeah. So uh, the state, I think, you could argue, should publish and make sure its citizens know the law. 
Yeah. Know what is good. Know what is evil. Know what the state's going to do to you if you do evil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, but uh, so the state, so the state really isn't the primary sphere where you look for um, help in educating. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Although I think your what you just said kind of puts some things together in my mind. And it's fascinating, just a quick um, parenthesis, that um, the the only accredited university, Christian university in Mexico, was founded by a brother Baptist pastor who was also a federal judge, a Mexican federal judge, which mm. is a kind of unique combination. And so they their first um, their first degrees were in law. Um, because of the connections that he had, and so I think that would be a yeah, that would be an area where the the government would would want to certify who's who's uh, okayed to uh, participate in those kinds of things. That that would seem. I, I think you would deduce that from Romans thirteen and other passages. Um, but yeah, apart from that, it has become more consumeristic a piece of paper and in, and in Mexico I think that is that is clear in a number of ways that oftentimes uh, well it's, it's clear in the United States as well where you, where you have people like I was at a wedding the other day and the server there was like a hired catering team and the, the guy was serving salad or something on the plate um, somebody complimented him and he said that's what six, educa- six years of college education does for you <laughs> <laughs> and, <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> but oh no, he's probably serious. Um, it's not the first. Yeah. So, anyways, that was just a parenthesis. <laughs> yeah. Well, education has become a thing you do, not necessarily a um, just the thing we do. Not necessarily. It's no real goal. It's not a formation of a person. It's not about the formation of a person. It's about achieving a uh, status or something. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Anyway, so uh, so as far as the as far as the family goes, I think I see in scripture over and over and over and over and over an obvious um, emphasis placed upon the role of the family in educating children, and it's primarily in terms of God's word educated them in the word and how to walk in it. <clears throat> what about the church though? So we kind of touched on it a couple times, <clears throat> but the role of the church in, in a, and there's one thing like Sunday school, you could call it Christian education, mm-hmm. which uh, I don't know about these words we use sometimes Christian education or what do you call it? Continuing education. No, what's uh, the term they use for Sunday school, the Christian education. There's another term, too, uh, that I've heard. But I see. No. Eh. Religious instruction? No. I mean, I, I guess what I'm getting at is uh, what's... So the where does the church and the family... Um, where do they intersect in terms of education? I would say even with public education, as the U.S. knows it, the family is the primary is the primary uh, 
that's the one who has the responsibility for the child's education, even though the state's the one doing the educating, which is not a good thing in my way of right. thinking about it. But still, the family, hypothetically, is the one who has complete control over the child's education in our system. So far, we homeschool our kids. Yeah. So, for example, and we're not, not allowed. We are allowed to do it so far. So... Yeah, but but when the church <clears throat> when the church looks at our our formally educating our children in, in in the in the activities of daily life, you kind of see that when you like older women instruct the younger women, yeah. older men instruct the younger men. What's that all about? That's is that just uh, holiness, righteousness, knowledge, the integration of of a worldview you might call it you know, as a, mm-hmm. how you think about everything um, I, I would say that yeah, I mean the church isn't even a Sunday school class like there's probably a, there's a limit to how far you would go you're, you're not going to teach like a, a science class in Sunday school whatever science is yeah I thought the word science yeah. meant something like a quest for knowledge not yeah. Which, which, hey, well, if you're in Sunday school. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Using theology that, like, used to be the queen of the sciences. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the common understanding you're not going to teach uh, a math class. That's not so safe for one. Is that safe? Yeah. Although I wonder about that. Anyway, yeah. I mean, that would be, very, that'd be, be uh, an interesting exercise. Yeah. It would be. I'm sure it could be done. I don't see the elders of the church. As part of their duty is to instruct people in mathematics. Um, no, I don't mean yeah. instructing people in mathematics. I think the duty of the church is to instruct people in how to live life yeah. in general. Uh, like, all, lay out all of life as worship. Mm-hmm. What's that look like? Yeah. Well, mathematics. What That doesn't seem like it has any part in our religious life. Because yeah. aren't we pretty accustomed to atomizing our lives out into little pieces? Mm-hmm. This is my religious yeah. life. This is my secular life. This is my political, my family life. Yeah. But that's not who we are created to be. All little bits and pieces of things here and there. So it's all Very integrated. True. We're one mm-hmm. person, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the integration of so the world what view. I'm, that's what I'm thinking. That might be a challenging yeah. exercise. <laughs> yeah, we're commanded. I mean, Paul tells us. But science, then right, when you get to the school like that. Doctrine. <clears throat> right? If you can do it in Sunday school, hypothetically, yeah. then pub or uh, formal education should it not be that way? Done that way? What way? Well, if if you show how mathematics works into your life in terms of worship, mm-hmm. isn't that what a Christian school should be doing? Yeah, I mean, and that's what we're seeking to do at Montiel. Yeah. yeah. But I, so in other words, then I guess what I'm getting at is, so the school in a way is adding to? It's an extension of the discipleship ministry of the church. But it's through the family. Yeah? Through the so family, in other words, the, the family... Have. As parents have the responsibility mm-hmm. to do the educating, and then the church can, through its um, 
ministry to its members can influence the way that the school teaches the children. It's like checks and balances, kind of. Definitely, yeah. I think that's that's fair. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure there's a little... I would say, and as far as the elders of the church and their primary teaching responsibility in that capacity, they're going to be looking to scripture, scriptural passages that are going to dictate, they're going to provide some, some guardrails, if you will, as far as content. Although application is is pretty uh, open. <laughs> Limitless. So, yeah. Um yeah, and we would. I think we would look to we would, we would look to the scriptures as a guide too for it, as far as what we're emphasizing in the context of the gathered church. But then, as we're scattered in different places and different spheres, we're going to live out our our Christian identity and seek to be people of the book in all of those spheres and seek to be people who, who's, who are bringing our lives into submission um, or better said, more directly stated, who are submitting to Christ, to his Lordship in every area of life. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's an interesting thing to, well, I think it's important to mention. So when we talk about spheres, it ultimately has to do with, with, in a way, the Noahic covenant. Uh-huh. So, after the fall, when, when Adam fell, it all kind of fell apart. <laughs> fell. Yeah. So, anyway. It's getting late. <laughs> yeah. I probably should wrap this up soon. But what I'm, what I'm going for here is the three spheres as we know them, as we define them, as we talk about them, really are meant for this fallen world as a way to promote the good and punish the evil to preserve the um, word of God in the world mm-hmm. and a witness and a salt and a light. But all three of those things contribute toward the lessening of evil and the promotion of good mm-hmm. in general. So I'm saying this because those three spheres are less than the ultimate. It's we're members of the kingdom Kind of where I'm wandering, wandering around here mm-hmm. in exile. <laughs> People yeah. put it that way, like Peter mm-hmm. or or Peter. Anyway, Peter. so so really, Hebrews, yeah, yeah, yeah. Looking to a city that has foundations. Yeah. It's funny that he says that has foundations. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so. I mean, as we wander around here on Earth, there is going to be a lot of interactions between those three spheres because that's this Earth. That's this Earth. It's meant to... So those three spheres, will they exist uh, in the new creation? As far as I can tell, they will all be kind of... All the authority will be given... will Will be held in the office of... Christ. Yeah, there won't be any mediation. Prophet, priest, king. Yeah. yeah. So down. So anyway, I guess what I'm getting at is the church. I was uh, the church is not the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. but it is 
a touch point mm-hmm. of the kingdom of God in earth. Mm-hmm. So, Not in a way, is, is the church kind of the mm-hmm. primary of the three, as far as its witness to the? It is, isn't it? It's where the kingdom of God touches down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it that seems to be what uh, Ephesians. Ephesians, uh, the whole book is a, a great, um, I think very helpful in sorting through a lot of these things. But in Ephesians, we definitely see that the family has not been just kind of swallowed up by the church. Um, and we do see the church is a family, but the biological family has not been swallowed up. Um, <clears throat> even though you might expect that from some of the things that Jesus says in the gospels, you might expect that it's headed in that direction and it is headed in that direction, but still in this already, but not yet the the biological family is something that is, 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 it's a legitimate sphere of authority. But as far as the light of the world, the light of the world is not, it's not the family specifically, it's the church. Uh, Jesus is the light of the world, obviously, first and foremost. But then when he says, you are the light of the world, you're like a city set on a hill that cannot, you know, be, cannot be hidden. I don't think he's talking about uh, any particular nation <laughs> or, um, or you know, geopolitical nation or, or biological family. He's talking about the holy nation uh, that Peter talks about. And he's talking about the family of God, which is the church. Uh, we see that if the 12 are the, the beginning of the new covenant people of God um, in that sense then yeah it seems like the church is is primary but it's not I think you can still get into trouble if you go yeah, we have to allow for the biblical tensions that are there like the church doesn't swallow up the family and we look to the family. Right. And that's where I was kind of going with the yeah. kingdom of heaven. Yeah. It's because that, I guess that in my mind, I was trying to think through, well, how do we guard against the church swallowing them all up? Yeah. The Roman Catholic church did pretty good at that for a while. It did. Maybe not the family, but oh. well, kind of the family, Papa or whatever the Pope is called. Yeah. Still is, I guess. Papa. Yeah. Uh, huh. So the Roman Catholic Church, yeah, the kingdom of heaven come to earth. The Pope stands in the place of Christ. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think we could speak about like Montreal School, our K through twelve school. I don't have an issue with referring to it as a Christian school. I wouldn't call it a church school. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> well, we've gone far afield. Do you want to talk about anything else? <laughs> It's been uh, one hour, just about. <laughs> I'm sure we can keep going on, on all these topics, but uh, yeah, I appreciate appreciate uh, you having me on, and I hope these things are edifying to those who listen and uh, spark good uh, searching of the scriptures. And, and if people want to look at what's happening down there, give money, or by the way, possibly, do you ever need teachers? Yeah. You mentioned they raise their own support. Yeah, we are. And most of them maybe don't need to know Spanish in order to teach. They do not. So. They just have to pass our statement of faith and uh, the interview process. Pass it? Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> Does that mean they have to not disagree with it, or do they have to actually study it? And I mean, I would assume in order to disagree with it, you'd yeah. have to study it. But yeah, there's a pretty thorough interview process, okay. and you can be either Presbyterian or Baptist. But um, there's uh, not reformed. I mean, you know, I just recently joined yeah. a. a a reformed church. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> by which I mean the three forms of unity. Reformed has gotten kind of confusing in right. these days, but. Broadly reformed or narrowly reformed? Yeah. Traditionally I mean, reformed? I mean Dutch reformed. How yeah. about that? You don't have to be Dutch reformed. Definitely not. But. But it's, it's, it's it open to in general people. Organization who, would lean who are, and it's soteriology. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, More confessionally friendly mm-hmm. types. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, to, if you're interested in coming down uh, to teach, um, but yeah, it's a, there's always a need for that. There's three sc- We have three schools in, in Mexico, but you should come to Montreal because it's the biggest and has the most need. Um, <laughs> but there's other opportunities as well. If you go to Global Education Ministries uh, dot org. Global Education Ministries dot org. Yeah, you could put that on the link. I guess. Yep, I will. I will leave links to anything that you send me on the podcast. I didn't bring a pen. You know, I've got this keyboard here. That's a yeah global education education ministries ministries plural. Yes. Ah. Well, there's one link, and then you're writing a book. Put that link in if you send it to me. So you have to make a note to yourself on Amazon under my name. I'll send you the link. And then, uh, and then, funding for the school is impactmexico.org. If you're interested in checking that out, they could use your money. Who couldn't use your money? Heck, I could use your money. <laughs> Probably not wisely, but I could use it. <laughs> anyway, but forget the money. You could also pray, I suppose, right? Are there updates anywhere Prayer. that people can see? Uh, I know you have a blog. Yeah. Or a website. Prayers is uh, very significant. We value that. And if you can sign up for our newsletter at uh, impactmexico.org. Um, and yeah, my personal blog is at cedarlandia.com. Cedarland. Cedarland. You spell yeah. the word cedar and you spell the word land and then put an IA. Yeah. .com. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll put all that stuff in the show notes. Thanks. <clears throat> Maybe I should have said that at the beginning of the podcast, but I might put an intro in later. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thanks for doing the interview. Yeah. And or having the conversation. It wasn't super formal. Since we're sitting here in Idaho. With a rabbit. With a rabbit in a cage. <laughs> Occasionally scratching on the plastic. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, right. at my, in my wood shop with the dust and the, underneath the cardboard that your computer's sitting on it's some hard pieces of glue which is why there's cardboard there so yeah it's fancy good thing it's not video that's right <laughs> alright well thanks for listening and um, oh, oh I don't normally share these so I guess you guys will have to share them this if you would like to and I'll tell Nathan he can and uh, maybe get the word out that they could check out these things going on down in Mexico if, if you if you know people are interested. Send it to them. Cool. How do you do that? <laughs> I'm starting to sound older as I 
forget or don't know all the new. <laughs> There's the Facebooks, the tweets, Instagram. Yep. All right. Anyway, etc. Okay. Peace out. <laughs>